Shalom to Christians and friends who are following us online. We are currently into the third of the five-week series of the Supernatural Realm 2. As many of you know, we have been on the Supernatural Realm series since January 2021 to lay a good foundation for the Supernatural Realm. We have learned from the earlier series that Yahweh had a divine counsel from the beginning of creation. We also know that there were three divine rebellions recorded for us in Genesis 3, 6, and 11. Now, all of these divine rebellions, they are two groups of spiritual beings. One group was with Yahweh, and another group was against Him. So we have the good guys who are assisting Yahweh and the bad guys who are resisting Him. For today's sermon, we will examine both the good and the bad guys in the supernatural realm. And the topic for today is the Satan and angels. The big idea for today is live victoriously with the understanding of the role of supernatural beings. Now, let me begin with the bad guy, Satan. Let's first turn to the Old Testament in Job 1 to dive deeper into the role of Satan. Now, Job 1 verse 6 says this, Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where you have come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Verse 10, Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now I want to begin by unpacking a translation issue with the name of Satan. If you were to go into the Hebrew text where the name Satan appears in verses 6 to 9 and 12, you would find that Satan's name comes with a definite article in the Hebrew text, the Satan. Now, this is not seen in our English translation because it sounds odd, but it is written in the original text. Now, in total, the word Satan appears in the Old Testament 27 times, out of which 17 of them comes with a definite article of the Satan. Or in Hebrew, we call it Ha-Satan. Now, you may be thinking now, What's the big deal of the definite article of the Satan? 
Now let me unpack that further. Now the Hebrew language has a similar treatment of a definite article before a noun in English. Now you see, no one calls me the Wilson. The moment the definite article comes before a noun, it does not refer to one individual or a person, but instead to a category of people or an office that a person carries. For example, we say the teacher is early or the student is hardworking. Now, the teacher and student here is a category of people. Now, given this understanding, the Satan is not referring to a specific spiritual being, but rather to a category or an office of spiritual beings. Now, what category does the Satan fall under? The original meaning of the Satan means the adversary or the accuser. That's right, the adversary or the accuser. Now, with this definition, let's revisit Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 12 again. We can then say that the Satan in the passage is not referring to the fallen rebel, the Nahash in Genesis 3. The Satan refers to a divine being in Yahweh's divine counsel who serves as a prosecuting attorney. Now, the Satan's job description is to prosecute people who are not righteous before God. And the Satan's role is created by God to bring accusation against unrighteous people. And we can see an example of this accusatory role in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah 3, 1 to 2 says this, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now do take note that the word Satan here in the original text is the word Ha-Satan, the Satan. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan, O Ha-Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? There was a heavenly scene where Zechariah saw the Satan, the Ha-Satan, accusing Joshua, the high priest. And the angel of the Lord had to reject the accusation of the Satan against Joshua by cleansing him. Now, coming back right now to Job 1, I know many of us are taught by our tradition that Satan in Job 1 refers to the devil, the Nahash. I was taught that too, and even taught many others the same. But as I re-examined the scriptural text, I realized that there were some gaps in my previous understanding. For example, we know that the devil, who is the Nahash, was cast out of Yahweh's divine counsel after the first divine rebellion in Genesis 3. And after being cast into the underworld and the earth, he lost the privilege to be among the sons of God in Yahweh's counsel. Now, it is somewhat incomprehensible 
that the devil can still appear in Yahweh's counsel and still be given an assignment by Yahweh to test Job. It is as if the devil was punished and yet allowed back into Yahweh's presence again. And furthermore, if you were to study the context of Job 1, you will find that Yahweh was having a proper conversation with the Satan and not with someone who caused a divine rebellion in Genesis 3. So to me, the devil is sentenced for eternal damnation and Yahweh does not need his service anymore. Now to put the devil back into the Satan role in Job and Zechariah 3 makes it odd and hard to understand. Yahweh does not need the devil to do the job because he could assign it to many other spiritual beings in his council. Therefore, the Satan Hasatan in Job 1 is not the fallen Hash, the serpent in Genesis 3. Now allow me now to summarize all that I have said about the Satan in Job 1 and Zechariah 3. Firstly, the Satan, Hasatan, is not the Nahash, the devil. Secondly, the Satan is one of the divine beings in Yahweh's counsel. Thirdly, the Satan, Hasatan, serves as an official prosecutor in Yahweh's counsel. Now, to further add to the complexity of the matter, you see that the word Satan is also used in other Bible verses to reference even to the angel of the Lord. In Numbers 22, from verses 22-23, it says this, But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. And he says that his adversary. Now, he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. Verse 23. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Now in verse 22, the word adversary in the Hebrew text is the same root word for Satan. In this case, the angel of the Lord's reference as a Satan because he was opposing Balaam. Now we can gather from here that the term Satan is used in the Old Testament passages for the role of accusing or opposing another. So the question is this, how do we end up today using the term Satan to refer to the devil? Now the reason is that as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is a few hundred years between them, we see a shift in the usage of the term Satan. Now, bearing in mind that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew 
and the New Testament is written in Greek. So you notice different languages and different cultures. Now the differences will also lead to different ways of naming the same divine rebellion. As we move into the first century, the New Testament writers would use the term Satan for the leader of the fallen spiritual beings. Now, instead of trying to name all the different leaders in, uh, among the fallen beings in the various divine rebellion, the term Satan becomes the encompassing term for reference to the leader of all the fallen divine beings. Now, let me show you an example through the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. In verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now we see that the devil is now synonymous with Satan in the New Testament text. Now in this passage, there is also no definite article in front of Satan which means that Satan has become the official name of the devil. However, there are also other names used for the devil in the New Testament era. Let's look at one passage right now. Revelation chapter 12, verse 8, it says this, But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now it is evident from this passage that the devil has many different names now. Number one, the great dragon. Number two, the ancient serpent and the harsh. Satan himself, and of course, the deceiver of the whole world. You see different references, different names. As modern day believers, we are so used to referring to Satan as the ringleader of all the fallen divine beings because of the various New Testament writings. Now, let me now summarize what we have learned about Satan from the Old Testament all the way to the new, a few hundred years in between them. In the Old Testament, the term the Satan, Hasatan, is not used for the devil, the Nahash of Genesis 3. We explained that earlier. The Satan is a divine being who served as a prosecutor in Yahweh's counsel as seen in Job 1 and Zechariah 3. Now the term Satan can also be used for anyone who opposes another, seen in Numbers 22 and 1 Kings 11. 
Now, as we move into the New Testament, we see that the term Satan refers to the ringleader of all the fallen spiritual beings. Satan now in the New Testament is used synonymously with the devil, the ancient serpent and the husk, the dragon, and the deceiver of the world as seen in Matthew 4, Revelations 12. Now we also learn from our Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday messages that Christ has defeated the devil and his eternal judgment is coming nigh. Amen? Now some of you may be wondering, What's the point, Pastor, of knowing all this about Satan or the Satan? Well, you must understand that the more we know who Satan the devil is, especially in the New Testament era, the more we can walk in victory over him in our Christian journey. While Satan has many names, you must, you must know that his tricks are often the same. One of his most effective ways of enslaving humanity is in using falsehood and lies. And the Bible also calls the devil the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. You see, from the beginning in Genesis 3, his native language is falsehood and lies. And we must be careful, church, not to partner with the devil in spreading falsehood and lies during this pandemic. Sometimes, ignorantly or callously, we can spread falsehood through our social media and text messages. Before you send any text message or forward them that, that may create fear and anxiety, and let's verify the source before we blindly flood falsehood through our social networks. Let's not be partners with the devil in creating fear and anxiety through falsehood. In our integrity, speech, and actions, let's ensure, ensure that we bring hope, truth, and life to those around us, especially our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. Let's bring hope and life to them. There is a great need for hope and strength during this pandemic. So let's partner with the Holy Spirit to declare God's purpose, life, and hope to people around us. Amen? So type in your chat right now, let's bring hope and life. That's right. Type it in, let's bring hope and life. Now that we have seen the leader of the bad guys, Let's move on now to examine the good guys, the angels. Now, the good guys are found in many Bible passages. And let me read some of them to you from the Old Testament first. In Psalms 89, verse 5 to 8, it says this, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Verse 7, God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, 
who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with faithfulness all around you. Now from the passage, you can see from the various phrases highlighted that there are many spiritual beings surrounding Yahweh. Yahweh does not function alone. Now allow me to show you very quickly the different spiritual beings that are found in the Bible surrounding Yahweh. Now the first group of spiritual beings that the Bible has clearly classified and identified is the sons of God. That's right, the sons of God. And we are familiar with this term. Job 2 verse 1 says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Hasatan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Now we have learned from earlier supernatural realm sermons that the term sons of God refers to God's divine family. Another name that is also used to describe God's council members is the term the watchers. Daniel 4, 17 says this, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Now we can see that the term the holy ones and the watchers are used synonymously in this passage. Now there's also the second group of divine beings that seems to hold a higher rank among the sons of God and they are called princes. Princes, all right? Let's look at Daniel 10 verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now Michael is identified here as one of the chief princes who oversees Israel. So that's the second group. Now the third group of divine beings is the cherubim and the seraphim. Now we first read of the cherubim in Genesis 3.24 where they were tasked to ensure that humanity could not access the tree of life. Thereafter, we also read of the cherubim's role as throne guardians in Exodus 25, 20, Psalms 99, 1, and Ezekiel 10. The Bible also mentioned another type of throne guardians by the name of seraphim in Isaiah 6, 2 and 6. Now, these throne guardians form a unique group of spiritual beings with very specific functions of guarding Yahweh's throne. Now, the fourth group of divine beings that we can find and often see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is the term angels. Now, the noun angel is translated from the Hebrew word malach in the Old Testament and angelos in Greek in the New Testament. Now, these two words are not referring to any particular type of angel such as the example given like the cherubim and the seraphim. 
Why do I say that? Because the term angel in both the Old Testament and the New Testament has the meaning of a messenger. So the term angel is a job description and not the name of a particular group of spiritual beings. Therefore, ever since the New Testament era, the term angels is used loosely to refer to all of Yahweh's faithful divine beings, regardless of who they are. And that's what many of us do today, isn't it? Whenever we reference the good, divine, loyal beings to God, we call them angels. It's the same for us when we call dogs, cats, snakes, and monkeys under the category of animals instead of identifying them with their specific names. Therefore, angels have been popularized to refer to all the good guys who are with Yahweh. Most importantly, what is the significance for us to know about angels? And let me unpack that right now from Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 says this, verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now, it is very clear that God has chosen to speak to us today through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at verse 3 now. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Now, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, you, you, you see from this passage that Christ sits at Yahweh's right hand and he is way, way more superior than all the heavenly hosts. Verse 5 says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today? I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Again, reinforcing Christ's special and intimate relationship with God the Father that no angels enjoy. Verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, the Son of God, Christ himself, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, 
God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Look at verse 11 now. And they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Amen and amen. Now, the entire passage contrasts Christ Jesus with the rest of the spiritual beings where Christ is supreme in power and majesty. Verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, this is the part that I want to focus on and bring an application for all of us. Verse 14 holds an essential truth for all of us in our Christian life. All these divine beings loyal to Yahweh, they are ministering spirits sent by God to serve believers of Jesus Christ. That's right, for you and for me. Now think deeper with me right now. No matter how powerful and glorious these divine beings are, God sends them to serve His people on earth. That's right, to serve you and to serve me. If you were to continue reading into Hebrews 2, you will see that our destiny is Christ's fellow siblings in God's presence. Yes, we may not be as powerful and glorious as the angels for now, but Christ has seated us in the heavenly realms together with Him. Now, if you understand this truth, it speaks of who, who you are, your status in Christ in the supernatural realm. And that's why it's absurd for me to hear of believers seeking out angels and praying to them for special revelation. Church, I want you to know this. We must never pray to angelic beings because they are but servants of God. We must direct our prayers to our Lord Jesus Christ and to seek Him alone. Amen? And as we seek our Lord Jesus, He will reveal Himself to us through His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us because He is within us and will convict and lead us as we wait upon Him to hear His voice. And when we need supernatural intervention in our lives, Christ may send His angelic beings to assist us in our situation. And I'm sure many of you have experienced supernatural intervention by God's angels before. And church, we must never seek and pray 
to divine beings who are but ministering spirits under God's authority. And at the same time, we must also not become presumptuous of our status in Christ. Never did the Bible ever say that we have angels under our authority to do our bidding as and when we want. Because every angelic assignment must come from God. We do not have the authority to command these ministering powerful spirits to do our song and dance whenever we want them. Now, let's not go around foolishly commanding God's angels as if we are their boss. Let God, their true boss, do the assignment in sending His ministering spirits to us. Amen? So with this, allow me now to summarize the learning on the spiritual good guys loyal to Yahweh. Number one, Yahweh is surrounded by spiritual beings in His divine counsel. Number two, there are hierarchies and groups of divine beings at God's service. And number three, the term angel is a generic reference to divine beings loyal to God. Number four, angelic beings are ministering spirits sent to assist believers of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, we must never be afraid of Satan because he is a defeated foe. Amen? Church, know, know that those who are with God are more than those who are against him. In our Christian life, we live with victory knowing that God has his angels, his multitude of angels ready to come to our assistance when we need it. Amen. With this, let us close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth in your word that brings life. May your people always live victoriously, always bring life and hope to those around us. May we live knowing that you have already defeated Satan and all the forces of evil and there is nothing to fear about them. And Lord Jesus, may we always carry the confidence that in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural realm, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And may we walk in confidence, live with the full confidence that you are always ready to send powerful ministering spirits to assist us whenever we need them. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege to be your children, enjoying all that you have done for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, we are grateful, eternally grateful and thankful to be your people of hope. And in this pandemic, may we bring strength and hope to people around us, knowing that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. So Father, let your people arise, arise to be the beacon of light and hope to people around us during this difficult time. So we ask and pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen and amen. So with this, shalom to you. I see you next week. 
same time, same channel. God bless.